we've <laughs> begun a series uh, on the parables of Jesus. So if you've got a Bible, could you please turn to, turn to Matthew chapter 12? We're going to uh, look at this, the parable of the divided kingdom, which involves a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute. So here's the demon-possessed man that's blind and mute. But there is another problem with the blind and mute man. It's just that the man praying for him has got three hands and obviously needs prayer afterwards to get rid of one. So uh, if you haven't spotted it, well, there you go. So Matthew chapter 12, verses 22 to 23. We're going to have some fun this morning. We're going to look at demons and things like this. So. Uh, hit. It's <laughs> supposed to make you think it's demons, you see. Did you think? I don't <laughs> That's to make you scary. Anyway, when we get to verse 28, just give it a whack over. Matthew 12, verse 22, 32, in the scary over. When the demon oppressed man. No, when the demon oppressed man, who was blind and mute, was brought to him, he healed him. So that the man spoke and saw, and all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, that It is only by um, Beelzebul, the prince of demons, uh, but this man has cast out demons. Knowing their thought, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will the kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out the demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder the house. For um, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me uh, scatters. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man... I will not be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either uh, in this age or the age to come. Let me just clear something up. I'm not going to talk about the unforgivable sin. So just in case you're looking at it and thinking, is he going to do this? The answer is no. The, would you like the reason? Coward. There is no other reason. Okay. Um, the Pharisees have uh, arranged that a demon-possessed uh, man be brought uh, to Jesus. It is a setup. Uh, there has been a confrontation uh, previously uh, between Jesus and the Pharisees re- regarding uh, the importance of the Sabbath. Was it right to pick wheat on the Sabbath? Uh, was it right for Jesus to heal on the Sabbath? Or worse, uh, was it right for Jesus to heal in the synagogue on the Sabbath. Well, Jesus had um, blown it all out of the water. He'd pluck wheat and he'd heal the man with the withered hand in, uh, in the synagogue on the Sabbath. 
But in verse 14 of uh, Matthew chapter 12, we, we, we read this. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. And now we're looking at one of those plans. We're looking at a conspiracy. We're looking at uh, where they're trying to destroy Jesus. Hit. Still scared? All right, Joanna? It's calmed down. Calm down. Okay. So, uh, the, this time the setup involves uh, a demon possessed man. He's blind and he's mute and he's deeply troubled because of that. I want you to not think of this as cold. I don't want you thinking of it as something in the Bible. I want you to imagine the, the agony, physical, emotional uh, agony that this guy is going. They've gone and got the worst kind that they can find. He's demon-possessed. He's demon-oppressed. They know that. Not only that, the consequences of him is that he can't see and he can't hear and they've dragged him in front of Jesus. It must have been an awful situation. And this guy is not a chess piece in a game of power and position. He's a person in his own right. Now, ever we come across people, however troubled and however difficult their situations might be, they are still people who need to find God. And sometimes well, we, can, we can define people and define um, how we treat with them because of what we're dealing with. And Jesus doesn't. But these Pharisees did. Now, we don't know why the man was oppressed. Uh, the Bible tells us that there are demons. And it tells us that they war against us. Ephesians uh, does tell us that. And if that wasn't bad enough, sometimes those de- uh, people um, open up themselves to demon uh, oppression without even realising it and some even realising it. Now, if you were a Christian, I need you to understand that you cannot be demon-possessed because possession is to do with ownership. You are owned by Christ. You are not owned by another person. But there is demonic oppression and it does occur in Christians. And demonic oppression is the attack of demonic forces upon your life. And they can result in all sorts of different things. In this occasion, we see illness and sickness. It can cause depression. It can cause uh, huge difficulties in life and living. It can cause abnormal fear. There are all sorts of manifestations of the demonic in people. So it's a good idea that we are aware of these things as a church and that we are very aware uh, of spiritual oppression. And we're very aware that what can cause some of those things. So what I've done is that I've put some things down of my experience. Uh, This is not a great list. This is my experience of 20 years or something of leading churches. Just some of the things that I've come across where we've had to deal with people who have been struggling with a a demon oppression. First one is uh, past involvement of occult activity. Uh, People that have been involved in uh, Ouija boards, tarot cards, astrology, seances, um, necromancy, 
which is to do with um, contacting the dead, those sort of things uh, have caused demonic oppression to come upon people. Um, We've had to deal with, in the past, um, uh, past involvement in false religions. In fact, the Bible, Jesus and the Apostle Paul talks about that as false religions being the doctrine of demons. And you read that in the Bible. And I know that personally, I've had to uh, be involved with people pastorally that have had a background of false religions come into church and, and they have manifested all sorts of interesting things at different times. Uh, drug, u- drug use um, is something that uh, we, I've come across um, drugs, uh, as you know, alter the state of my, of the mind and uh, invite demonic et- activity um, in, into our mind and uh, promotes the, um, the sense of loss of control. The Bible promotes self-control. Drugs promote loss of control. Assess- excessive alcohol can do the same. And uh, I could tell you some of the interesting stories about some of these, uh, which are funny and frightening at the same time. Uh, Pornography uh, is uh, another one, um, particularly to extremes, had to deal with uh, people that have started sometimes on very minor things and have moved uh, to extremes as they could not stop this whole thing of pornography just breaking out into uh, their life and and so their their sexual uh, freedom has just been absolutely abandoned they've been governed by what the bible talks talks as lust and they've been taken over uh, interestingly enough i uh, had to deal with uh, some young uh, guys that were involved uh, in in uh, occult meditation techniques where you Empty your mind. Have you ever heard of centering prayers? That sort of thing. Uh, Repeating uh, phrases so that you can do things. You know, I am this, I am the other. Repeat it, repeat it, repeat it. And that sort of stuff. So it becomes, it takes over um, you. um, And so that you you are not in control. That the phrase has just um, gripped you. Um, Curses. Um, those are something that uh, just come across. You think probably, has he lived this sort of life? This is a, this is not, these, these weren't all at one time, by the way. Uh, curses, uh, sometimes uh, even manifested as, as, you know, I think this. The Bible tells you you can wear a curse like a garment. So I've seen a curse placed and it has actually happened. So the consequence of somebody cursing, sometimes almost uh, with an apparent spirituality about it, the consequence has been that the curse has become a reality. And uh, those things need breaking and the people need releasing from that. Um, Extreme sin and sinning just opens yourself up to the demonic. Uh, Sometimes even what I call tragic events in life that have left... Um, unspoken or undealt with, have opened them. People have opened themselves up uh, to demonic things, where things just come in and distort the truth. Now there are other things that have come across, but that was just my list. Okay, and all of those things, I can say this, were not beyond the fixing of Jesus. 
And when we're dealing with the demonic, we should not get spooked. We just shouldn't. You know, we shouldn't either be thinking, this is going to be one of those scary sermons. Now listen, 1 John 4, 4, You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They do not rule. They don't rule. Demons do not rule. They want to rule, but they don't. And we need to take that perspective on them, which means that we, mustn't, we don't have to shout at people at them either. It tells us that Jesus healed this man so that the man spoke and saw. What we know with the later dialogue is that he did that by taking authority over the demon that had gripped him. And, uh, and it says after that, verse 23, and all the people were amazed. And Jesus' impact on people's lives, hear this, should be, it should be instant and complete. And we need to have that as part of who we are. Because I think we've become a day, we're living in a little bit of a day where, where we've sort of forgotten the work of Jesus is instant and complete. And the reaction from all of this is that not some were amazed, but they were all amazed. That's all the people that were around. I love the original. Uh, if you look at the original, um, some commentators say they were all utterly astounded. Uh, I like this one. It says they were all knocked out of their senses. They were all bowled over. They it just um, got to them. And I want us to know that, that why should we pray for the sick? Why did we pray for Judah? Should we continue to pray for Judah? Yes. Why should we pray for the troubled? Why should we press into supernatural things? And uh, why should we do that? And there's one example, there's one thing that we do this for, is that all the people were amazed. And the church at this point should not be moving back from these things, it actually should be pressing into these things because the consequence of these things is that all people are amazed. That is wonderful in terms of evangelism. Now the crowd don't have an answer to what's going on and the best thing they can come up with with is this, that can this be the son of David? Now, I don't know whether you're like me, but um, uh, when you get to see amazing things... We, we can actually be swept into the moment of those things. We're probably not as good as we should be uh, when Jesus is moving powerfully. Uh, we're not as, uh, as competent as we think that we are, whoever you are. And uh, this, what they sort of come up with is, uh, oh, we know what's going on here. This is David. This is King David, the, the shepherd who became the warrior king, who united a people, established a kingdom. And they must have known a little bit of the stories of David because they know him as a forceful liberator, uh, the king who actually had, on an occasion, taken uh, authority over the demonic uh, in Saul when he was a young man. And they just sadly, just completely and utterly get this wrong in the emotion of the moment. 
Oh, it's David, you know, that sort of thing. And if you look, it's really interesting for, to, to read revival stories. And if you read revival stories, um, get the books, read the Welsh Revival, you will actually read both wonderful things and big gaffes, big, huge mistakes. And it seems to, I don't know why, uh, run hand in hand. That the people of God experience these things and seem to not know how to also handle these things in the emotion of what they see and experience. What do we know? This was not David. This was not but the son of David. But can I encourage us that even though these things occur, can I encourage us not to let that us put, not, not to be put off by the fact that the people of God get it wrong, but to go for the higher principle that our God performs signs and wonders in our day, wants to pour out his spirit and his power on people. And that must be the overriding thing. We, might, we need to talk about these things, we need to confess, but we, must, we mustn't say, because that happens, I'm going to pull back from these things. In fact, because that happens, it's a time to pull in rather than back. And this, of course, fuels the fire of the Pharisees. Oh, look, you know, it's the, this, is the, this is David, and uh, Jesus has taken what they think is the bait and he's released the man from his demon. He can now see, he can now hear, he's off. The crowd are excited, the crowd are confused, the crowd are emotional, and the Pharisees are cheering. And it says, and when they heard this, they said, it's only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that he's cast out demons. And the Pharisees think that this is more evidence to condemn him. So they accuse him. They say, ah, he's using evil powers to set this man free. He's using the power of Beelzebul, the prince of demons. Now the prince of demons is just another word for Satan, another word for devil. Uh, But the term Beelzebul is more likely comes uh, from a pagan society, a Canaanite Uh, deity, as it were, a Canaanite god that you could see in the Canaanite uh, temples. You can still see some of the images today. If you go into those sort of areas, you can see them carved uh, onto uh, sort of rocks and um, concrete stuff, stone, that sort of thing. You can still see it. And and what they were referring to here was a, a demonic god um, that, that uh, apparently could do exorcism. It could cast people out of, so they would induce all sorts of different things in the temple and people would shake violently as they were brought uh, before this God. And they would do that by using um, spells and incantations uh, over them, uh, they would use incense and different sort of things that they smelt and drink and drank and rubbed on the person's body uh, in terms of potions. 
Uh, they would have physical rings uh, that they would put on the person uh, to protect them. So you'd see people with a ring around them that was to protect them from demon. That's the Canaanite God that had said that. Sometimes they would stand them in a ring and draw a ring around them. Seen that done before? That's where that comes from. Uh, they would give them earrings to protect them. That made them money. They would give them bracelets. Remember all those sort of things? When you go down the market and you're buying some stuff, be very careful what you are buying because some things have been prayed over in other countries that will affect you. They're wearing bracelets so that the gods won't attack them. They used to wear neck bracelets, all of those sorts of things. And uh, so that all those things evoked and helped and manipulated evil, and boy, did it do it. And that includes it, and they're putting Jesus in this. How would you best know? Famously, if you are an author or sort of if you are a book reader, it's interestingly, um, just so that you'd know this, do you remember the, 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 uh, the book Lord of the Flies? The, no, Rupert goes, no, that's your homework. Um, Rupert, Lord of the Flies. Lord of the Flies is Beelzebul. That's where it comes from. So uh, you don't want to read that one again now, do you, really? Okay, click. Sorry. (laughs) Don't worry, I'll cast it out at the end. You're all right. We're going to do a little bit of deliverance at the end. Just come up, okay? Okay. Anyway, uh, evil is not a fantasy. It's real. And it should not be either, either trivialised or toyed with, which I think is two of the things that happens in terms of Christians. So we can be influenced and are very influenced in the Western world by a rational view of the world. If you live in an Eastern uh, viewpoint, you understand the spiritual dimension. But we come from a rational uh, viewpoint and we can disbelieve the demonic. Or you can get the other one, where wherever you go, it's all demons. You know, which is what can happen sometimes in churches. You either get a preoccupation uh, with nothing, or a preoccupation with there is everything. And the church can fluctuate sometimes between those two extremes. And if the subject of the demonic is ignored then what happens is that the devil and demons, they gain entry, they influence, and they restrict, because they're free to carry on and do what they want. Now, well, we don't believe in evil here, you know, and all that sort of stuff. And on the other hand is that if you develop an unhealthy interest uh, in the powers of darkness, what you can is you can create fear. And that you can create that the only way to deal with something is by casting it out. And uh, those two things have done. I found Dave Devonish, um, been preparing this quite helpful. Uh, he talked about spiritual warfare, gave a definition. So his definition is this the reality that the advance of the gospel and the building of the church involve us in attacking and experiencing counterattack in relation to real cosmic forces of darkness under the control of Satan, who is described as the god of this world. It's an attack, and it's experiencing a counterattack. Uh, it's what we will all face 
if we are committed to advancing the gospel and seeing the church built in our day. But Jesus' attack of the demonic was very real, it was very effective, and he was not evil. Uh, It's confirmed because it's explained as by Jesus uh, the breaking in of the kingdom of God by works. We often do it by word, and word is great, we should preach, but it's always in the Bible both. And Jesus would uh, uh, explain the breaking in of the kingdom um, a little bit later in verse 28. Let's clear this up then. Deliverance is a sign of an advancing kingdom and should not be shied away from uh, by the church. The power of God through deliverance and healing is the confirmation that the kingdom has come and is magnificent evidence that it is advancing and it is evidence that the kingdom have come is Uh, there for the believer and the unbeliever alike. It is just something that is, it's something that the unbeliever is, it can be very affected by. The Pharisees did not, though, deny the miracle. They just attribute it to somebody else. They said, no, it's it's not God, this is Satan. And they knew that if proved, the offense if Jesus was doing these things by Beelzebul, then the offence was that Jesus would be stoned immediately. So all that it's got to do here is that there's got to be a moment of it going wrong and these people are picking up stones to stone Jesus. So his life at this point holds in the balance. Isn't it interesting that Jesus' life holds in the balance as he's giving one person life. Don't you think that is magnificent of him? What is the manner of our saviour? He's constantly uh, putting himself standing here with all of that behind him and freeing this person. Stands there. Wonderful. What he does is that he defends himself by using... Two short parables in verses 25 and 29 hit it. The Pharisees already think that Jesus' power has not come from God but has come from Satan. And they assume that uh, since the demon has come out from the man, it must be that the demon has obeyed the ruler of the demons. The ruler of the demons has commanded a demon to come out of the the man. But Jesus says that's illogical thinking. Uh, If Satan wants to maintain and advance his rulership of the world, he would not be releasing a man who he's got power over. That would be working against himself. So the first parable, verse 25, knowing their thoughts, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then will this kingdom stand? The only conclusion is that this man has been set free uh, from... uh, The only conclusion is, is, um, is that this man has been set free not from demonic oppression 
uh, sorry, has been set free from demonic oppression by the power of God. But it's more than that here. That's what Jesus is saying. Look, I know what you're thinking, but this is not what you're thinking. This man has been set free by the power of God. But he also puts something in there which we uh, begin to see here. Uh, He talks about a kingdom and a kingdom divided against itself and a kingdom against himself. And he talks about a kingdom. And here we need to understand that we as Christians are in a raging battle. And it's indicated here. There is a battle with Satan going on. And that battle involves people. And it involves you and I. That Satan's uh, kingdom is trying to uh, advance and it uses people to try and advance. And, and Jesus uh, puts all of this in the air and he sort of says, look, there's a battle going on. I've won this one. But there's a huge battle that is going on here. And when we see this in our own settings, I think something occurs that helps us to see uh, in regard to church and in regard to our own personal lives, it sort of almost sets us a little bit uh, more alert than we are. In fact, the Bible tells us, be alert because the devil roars around you like a, a roaring lion. And we're often not alert. And Jesus is saying, look, come on, guys, be alert. Being set free from demon oppression, from blindness, Being able to speak, yes, is a demonstration of the power of God, but it also indicates the battle with with Satan. And it's part of who we are, we and who we're going to be. If we're going to be the people of God, if we're going to be a people of the kingdom, then two things are going to happen, is that we're going to advance with incredible supernatural things as God heals one and sets one free and saves one and moves through. But as we do that, it will be in the context of a battle. And we need to know that. And you as an individual and we as a church, we won't get by without a fight. We need to put that in our mind. You know, why am I behaving like I am? Why has this occurred? Well, it isn't just that you're grumpy and whatever. It is actually that there is a raging battle. There's a raging battle for you to get out of bed and meet, to get out of bed and pray, to get out of bed and witness, to get out of bed and pray for the sick. If I asked you this question, just this simple question, how many people right now would look at their boots? And I would look at my boots. How many times have you gone either past somebody or have been in a supermarket, or been in a strange position, and you just feel this strange thing going in your head, why don't you pray for that person? I mean, probably it's dozens and dozens, isn't it? You just walk, and you look at that person, and you go, I don't know that person. And you, something compels you. God compels you to do it. And, and suddenly, there's a battle that rages. And the battle first, it comes in your mind. There's always a no, don't do that. Don't be involved in that. So please can I remember, please remember this. We are a people who advances and we're a people who are in a battle. Next thing, bang. The next parable is about the strong man and Jesus continues his response to their charge and he casts out demons by, uh, casts out the, the, the demons 
uh, to, sorry, Jesus uh, continues his response to their charge that he casts out demons by Beelzebul. And uh, so in verse 29 he says, here's the parable. How can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless first he binds the strong man? Indeed, he may plunder his house. Then indeed he may plunder his house. And Jesus describes his role as inaugurating and initiating the kingdom, as forcefully, forcefully entering a well-guarded house. That's the house of Satan. That's the house of Satan and his demons, and he plunders it. This has been theologically explained so many times before. It's done my head in, but I'm trying to give it you in basics, okay, and get rid of the ooky-pooky, pochy-wochy stuff that's gone around for years. So let's do this again. Jesus describes his role as inaugurating and initiating the kingdom, advancing it, goes on, and forcefully entering, forcefully entering, hear that, it's what the Jesus talks about earlier, he talks about forceful men, remember that in the Gospels, that's what this is about also, forceful men advancing, as forcefully entering a well-guarded house, the house of Satan and demons, how does he describe that he does it, he says we plunder it, we plunder it, we strip it bare, that's what we do, we nick the furniture, but to do this, He says, what I have to first do is that I have to first capture and bind up the owner of the house. Because if I can do that, then I can just walk in, can't I? Because if I open the door and say, do you mind if I just nick your furniture? He's going to whack you over the head, isn't he? So what I must first do is that I must get the guy uh, and I must bind him up. And uh, then I'll walk through the door and then I'll take what I like. I'll have what I want. I don't know whether you understand this yet. This is talking about how, what are we like? We, we can have what we want, guys, out there. Some wonderful scriptures about that. About finance. Talks about, um, talks about the, the finances of pagans being given to us. Why does that so? Because if we get hold of this cup, it's ours. We can go take it, guys. That's major head scratch. Okay. Right. Jesus, you see, by means of his incarnation, do you remember what happened is his incarnation broke into the world? Do you remember how evil came up? Let's kill all the babies. No, we're having none of that. uh, Do you see how these victories come in? Then victory over the devil in the temptation, do you remember that? Goes in, uh, battles with Satan, face on, wins three times, has a victory over this. Demonstrates to the people, here's one of the illustrations, by casting out demon after demon after demon, sometimes even casting out legion. Let's take the big ones on just to prove who I am. Does that sort of stuff and uh, wins through so that people are being impressed, suddenly comes to this magnificent uh, event where, where the Satan thinks, got him! And he's got him nailed to a cross. And he's got him there. And he's got him at his weakest. And he's got him at his feeblest. And he's got him at his sickest. And he's there. And everybody, what does it say? They mocked. They mocked. And Colossians tells us what actually happened in his weakest, most mocked point. It says, In this 
He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and he put them to open shame, triumphing over them in him. The strong man was bound on the cross. That's our confidence with the demonic. That's why we can go into these situations because the strong man is bound. That's it. It's been done. The door's open, guys. Walk in. Oh, no. Look at so-and-so. They're just manifest. Come on, guys. It's bound. Done. Walk in. Take the furniture. Take it. Walk it up. Oh, wardrobe. Come on. Get in Because what we're not doing is we're not getting... We say, oh, no, no. We can't deal with the... What, do you ever hear this? We're not, we're not ready to deal with these complicated people. Balderdash. <laughs> Absolute poppycock. The strong man's dealt it. Go and get the furniture. They can be changed in Christ completely and utterly and serving God in a moment. We need to treat people like this. We need to stop having this defeatist attitude that we've got. We need to get in some houses and plunder it. Nick the furniture. Take the best paintings off the wall. It's the problem, you see. If you think about the church, sometimes other organisations do things better, don't they? And we look at it, we think, we haven't plundered yet. The church should do things magnificently because it plunders the stuff from the world. Let's hang it on our wall. That's the thing. Let's take this through then. Then we take it through the cross. What is the most evil thing that you can think of in our world? Death? No. The resurrection. Bang! He's broke through the resurrection. Demons must be shaking. Bang through the resurrection. What's the next thing? I don't know, let's keep him occupied. No, ascension, bang! What's the next thing? Exalt him as what? King of kings and Lord of lords, seated at the right hand. Who's in charge? I'm in charge. This is what's happening to all of Satan. He's looking at this thinking, I am lost here. He's he's resurrected, he's ascended, he's exalted. And one day, by the way, I am coming back. So we read this in Revelation, don't we? Chapter 12. Let's just take you through some of these things and then we're going to go, Patty, to Sweden. We just do that. So hang on in there, Patty, because in the next... Do I get to the next page? Oh, flipping heck. Okay, right, let's read this. (laughs) Revelation chapter 12. She gave birth to a male child, one who will rule the nations, what with? A nice stroke of the head? Nice little cuddle? No, with a rod of iron. Her child was caught up to God and to the throne. Magnificent. Verse 9. And the great dragon was thrown down. That ancient serpent, that ratbag, who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole earth, he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Ha! Now, the salvation of the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ has come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. And they have conquered. Who have conquered? What by? How have we conquered? How can we plunder? Through the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Please. Say something. It breaks the power of Satan. That's what he does. Please, testimonies. Not, 
please, not just prophecies and prayers, and they're great and wonderful, but look at the power of, of God in testimony. They have conquered by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. Something happens in spiritual places when we testify. For they love their lives unto death. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, you who dwell in them. But woe to you, the earth and the sea. The devil has come down to you in the great wrath, because he knows his time is short. The devil is nasty, he's evil, he's horrible, but he's defeated. And his houses, that's places, and his furniture, that's people, they're ours. It's, that's it. They're ours. So those people shopping in home base, God's saying this morning, they're ours. Sainsbury's, ours. Asda, ours. Tesco's, ours. What about the supermarket itself? It's ours. It is. If we can get our act together, guys... It's ours. There's no reason on earth why we can't be in these. We have this sort of thing, don't we? We have to say, oh no, they're horrible. Mega church. God, mega God. We need to think in terms of these things, in terms of plundering. Matthew chapter 28 tells us we cast out demons by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the work of the third member of the Trinity. Here's the fact. Demons have to obey Jesus and the Holy Spirit. (laughs) It's just true. They have no option other than to do this. That's really good news for you and me. In fact, it's fantastic news, isn't it? That that what we are in Christ, his victory has become our victory. He has died to take our sins away. And Satan's, not only has he done that, he's taken away Satan's right to people. It's what he's dealt with. He He has no legal right to these people. Demons after obey. Furthermore, the same presence and the power of the Holy Spirit is work in this that we see is at work in you and I. There is no difference between what we're reading in the pages of Luke and the pages of April 2013. It's exactly the same. It's fantastic. So by being positionally, where are we positioned? In Jesus. Do you see that? So we're positioned in Jesus. It's the same. We're positioned in him. And by being like Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, those are the two things. We can command demons to go. Just as simple as that. Now, just for the ones that are listening and just thinking, how spooky will he get? Um, I'm going to get a little bit spooky when we get to Sweden. Because Sweden is a very spooky place. Strange place. In fact, we're not just going to talk about the strange place of Sweden. We're going to talk about the even stranger goings-on in Stockholm. So get ready, Patty. But let's just go back. It doesn't take a priest. When I lived in Lewis, there was a great big uh, Anglican church that, that offered a casting out of demons. It was on the Lewis Road. I think it's actually been bought by HTB now on the Lewis Road coming in. And it, it was, you know, uh, demon oppressed, please contact the priest. <laughs> used to drive past. Great uh, big sign. That sort of, it doesn't take a priest. It doesn't take a flick of the, do you remember that sort of, have you seen those films? Little flick of the holy water, that'll do it. 
you know, that sort of stuff. How holy is it? We do all that, don't we? Let, lie them out in a bed. Flick the holy water. Dong. What does that do? It just makes you wet. The, the, other, the other one is to, have you seen these on films? To run up them with a crucifix. What does that do? It's a bit of brass, man. It's just a piece of wood. What are we doing? It's sort of, you almost hide behind, have you seen those, in those films that you see where they hide behind it? Coming up like this, and this thing oozes green stuff and all that, you know, all that sort of thing. And it doesn't help, and it doesn't help either that everybody that's portrayed in this is like the weird guy with the dog collar in The Exorcist. Have you ever seen him? Why do they do that? You know, they're this sort of weird guy that just can't they're all going to google now this bit but it just it's not the way it happens it takes somebody who belongs to jesus who's repented of their sin who is filled with the spirit who's positionally in christ just to take authority go in the name of jesus go it's an issue of who you are not what is in front of you that's the issue and because of his authority and the holy spirit in our life they have to obey do you know that they can't not obey and it's not because you're great, it's because God's great. And it's not because we've m- mustered something up, you know, where we sort of have this sort of thing, well, in a little while, what I'll do is I'll muster up enough thing and then I'll shout at it. It's nothing to do with that at all. It's because all authority has been given to you. You already have it. He quoted it, this guy here. All authority has been given to you. You have all the authority that you need. You don't need any more. You probably just need a load of confidence to just go and say, let's plunder. And that sort of stuff. It's because all authority, and it's not because we are rulers and reigners. No, he rules and reigns. He's in charge. He's sovereign. And all that is great news because it means that if we can catch this, we can advance. So... I know that this is, you know, we're just talking about how horrible it is, but can we, you know, can we just grab hold of this, the, 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 what is there? Okay, should we go to Sweden to finish? Let's go and switch. Press. Patty, have you, have you ever heard of this? Yes. Oh, fantastic. This is an extraordinary event. Uh, it, it's uh, uh, in Stockholm, I believe, Patty, uh, if I'm right, from August the 23rd to August the 28th. 1973 in Stockholm in Sweden there was a bank that was open uh, please correct me Patty uh, doing its normal business and thieves rushed into the bank they seized it they took over it and they held the people and the bank workers hostage am I right at this point okay I thought you were too young to remember 1973 Patty <laughs> okay they according to the report what they did is that they strapped dynamite and explosives and bombs on all the workers with a little timer and, uh, and a button. So there's a person with a, you know, can I go to the toilet? <laughs> no need for that. That sort of thing. And they, they did this for, for five days. So for five days they had these people strapped up with um, all sorts of bombs and stuff. And eventually they, they were saved. So to use the language of the Bible, the police came and they liberated the people uh, with, I think, some crack teams. And uh, let's use the Bible. They were delivered. They were set free. And what happened was that um, some of the people who had been held hostage were, 
were very traumatized, as you can imagine. It had a, a, a hugely debilitating effect emotionally on them. And the first thing was that they actually couldn't cope with life itself. So they struggled to go back to work, they struggled to go to the shop, they struggled to be husbands and, and wives, they struggled to be boyfriends and girlfriends and, and all that sort of stuff. They just struggled. The trauma was incredible. And uh, then there came a time uh, where they, they, there was a court case. And so uh, they were asked as individuals, which of course, there you've got a good number of individuals, whether they would like to testify to their people in court. <coughs> and uh, when they went to interview these people as a group, so they put them all together, interviewed them and said, um, we'd like you to testify in court against these people. What came out was this. Um, do we really have to testify against these people? And, and of course, the, 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 the legal system went, pardon? They just put a button to you. You know, they got a button in their hand. And then uh, they, they, they come up and said, well, actually, we don't think that they're that bad at all, really. They're quite nice people. We got to know them. And so... They called um, caseworkers and psychologists and, uh, um, and sociologists and it got them all very confused because what they couldn't understand was that they'd, they'd had uh, explosives strapped to them for days and yet they, were, they defended them and they were sympathetic towards them. And, and this became what is now called the Stockholm Syndrome and is used today in hostage situations. It's something that is used that even today and thought of. And, and uh, it's also something that goes through into... You, I will get to the point in a minute. It goes through into human relationships and I believe into, into um, spiritual relationships as well. And what happens in a situation like, like this is that some person becomes a lord or a god or a king or a ruler over you, which is what these people did. And when they're in that position, they, they hold the keys to your, your life. They decide whether you live, you die, you sleep, you wake, you go to the toilet, you come back, you eat, you starve. And this is the way that these people were. They, they were, even had the choice of you are free or you are not. They literally become a god over you, a ruler over you. This is the, um, the Stockholm Syndrome. And so what you try and do is you try and appease them and you try and become friends with them and uh, they are not happy with you. And then something happens in that process that they do something that is very nice to you on one occasion. Which has happened to these guys. And they come to the conclusion that all the bad is counteracted by this one thing. And the conclusion they come up to is, well, they're not altogether bad then, are they? Extraordinary, isn't it? You would think that this would not happen. Now, I want you to take it to another thing. How does, this, how does that work out in terms of today, in terms of our policing? The policing today uses what is called the Stockholm Syndrome. 
I don't know whether Peter did in his day. He just had a truncheon in his day and hit him. Well, you know, that's a, well, shot him. That's probably the best way. But in today, that's, it's true, particularly in terms of, of sexual abuse. So the way that the Stockholm Syndrome has been taken on, it's taken on in terms of um, our policing today. So I want you to imagine um, that the, uh, you get a call into the police station, 999 call, and it goes something like this. Um, you get a call. Uh, it's from a lady who uh, says that she has been... Um, uh, physically and sexually and emotionally uh, abused to the extreme. And uh, when the two police officers go, uh, male and female or two females, they open the door and what they see is, uh, is a, a, a lady, um, she, uh, her clothes are torn, uh, she's crying, her nose is running, there is blood. And they say, well, can you tell me what happened? And they, they tell the story and they say, uh, he has uh, he, uh, assaulted me and he's done this and they do the other and they do the other and they take down the notes, they sit down with her uh, and they've, they've, they think, yes, okay, we've, we've got a case. What happens then is that there's a, a period where the, the, the girl uh, has to go into the police station uh, and uh, talk to, uh, again, psychologists and people like that and they sit down Some days afterwards, they'll sit down and a strange thing will happen. Is that they'll they'll sit down with the the girl and uh, they'll say, okay, um, we are ready to bring a charge against your boyfriend. And the the woman will at this point say, why do you want to do that? And the police officers will go, hold on. Were we not called to a 999? Did, did we not see you, your nose running and your face bleeding and your clothes torn? And um, did you not see what was, was going on? And she said, yeah, but he loves me. And, and the next day he, he bought me a bottle of wine and some flowers. And the police look, and said, so I want the charges dropped. And, and our own daughter would, not in this particular situation, would tell us, of, as a police officer, tell us of similar things that she has been to. When exactly, this is the, this is the uh, Stockholm Syndrome uh, now worked out into today's lives. And you think, why would she defend her abuser? Why would these guys defend these people in Stockholm that had put them. And I think that the answer is this, that the human heart is prone to deception. And, and that's the conclusion that they came up to with this and that other, that we are deceived. Now, where does that deception come from? It comes from the fact that Satan is a deceiver. And his aim is to deceive you and me. And his aim is to ruin you and I. The Bible tells us that Satan is a murderer, Satan is a liar, Satan is a deceiver, Satan is an abuser, Satan uh, uh, has people in a condition and leaves them in a condition of torment, what we might call as oppressed. And, and when we, because of our own self-deception, we, we can begin to view him as Lord 
and we can actually become sympathetic with him. In the fact that we can think, well, it's not that important, the things that I do, the things that I'm involved in. We sort of almost become um, sympathetic towards the things that he is telling us. Now, Jesus tells us in verse 30 of these verses, which is where I'm ending, you're not for me, you're against me. And he tells you that because he loves you and he's telling you that there, that there is, in this text that there is a cosmic, absolutely epic battle raging and that you and I were born on the side of Satan and his demons and we warred against God. And Jesus came and he liberated us and he delivered us and he died in our place. And now he, and he rose triumphant in victory, our victory. And he releases us from the bondage and the captivity and he sets us free. Somebody prayed, I can't remember who that was. You know, we're free, we're free indeed. That's what the Bible tells us. Now we want to look back. We don't want to go back, but we want to look back. Because what can happen in life is that we can have God, and believe it or not, Satan, running at the same time. A little bit of Satan won't do us any harm. A little bit of obedience, a little bit of disobedience. A little bit of darkness, a little bit of light. A little bit of truth, a little bit of lies. Jesus says this, no, you are either with me or against me. So what Jesus says is that I want you to choose. I want you to choose Jesus or Satan. There is no third category. And I, I believe sometimes this, that what, what people can do, and I'm just going to be honest with you, is that they can not throw everything away of Satan. So when I've, where am I? When I've said here, past involvement with occult activity, some people still see that as a gain. Past involvement in false religions. They sort of, well, all religions are all right then, aren't they? Drug abuse can be fun. Just a bit of fun, isn't it? Just a little bit. You know, um, alcohol. Just a bit of fun, isn't it? We're just having a bit of fun. Uh, meditation techniques, you know, it's just a bit of yoga, isn't it? It's all right, isn't it? You know, curses from other people, just a bit angry, aren't they? Extreme sin, it was just a night out, let me hair down. Tragic events. You know, Satan is, is not to be played with or toyed with. Satan's not an amu- is not a part of amusement. And, and I, want, I want us to know that going forward, we are a people who will declare very clearly that if you're not for me, you're against me. And so I want to pray now. And uh, please would you stand? You know, there are, I'm, I'm not going to bring you out at all. 
But there are some things that need to be got rid of today. And, and those are uh, things of occult activity in your homes and in your lifestyles that need to go, guys. Even our viewpoint of different religions. It's not Paul's where Casual drugs and, and alcohol. Sex, pornography. We're still doing it. It needs to be dealt with. Sexual freedom is not sexual freedom. It's sexual bondage. Emptying your mind is not renewing your mind. Living with curses from people are debilitating. Sin is not an evening out. And God wants to bring comfort to tragic events. So if you know that you are living with any of these things, this is the time to, I think it was Joanna that shouted out to be set free. And I, I want you to do this with me. I just want you to, I want you to renounce those things, repent of those things, and get rid of them. So that your ministry time today is that, yes, I'm for Jesus. Totally. Your ministry time is what you do after lunch. It's not what you do now. So... This won't be a prayer for everybody, but if it's a prayer that you want to pray with me, then uh, I think it says that if you are free, you're free indeed. So pray with me if you know that I've touched on anything that you know is in your life. Father, we we thank you that you are a God who speaks. We thank you that, that you want to set us free, liberate us, don't want us to live in bondage. And Father, today we renounce the things that we've been doing as wrong. We say to you, Lord Jesus, these things that I have done are utterly wrong. We say to you, Jesus, that I... I'm sorry for the things that I have done. And when I get home today, I'm going to get rid of all the influences that have opened me up to the evil forces of Satan that have gripped me and my body. And we say to you, in Jesus' name, walk free. Satan does not own you. He does not have power over you. Jesus does. And that's refreshing, comforting, <coughs> loving, building up kind of love. So in Jesus' name, walk free. But be determined to do those things. Amen. Okay, coffee and tea is being served uh, in the foyer, I can actually say to you there is a magnificent array of cakes. Mm-hmm.